Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The page came from your dad's office at the arcade. That number's been disconnected for 20 years. <laughs> wow, that's, recent quote. Yeah, that's a quote from a movie that hasn't even come out yet. That's awesome. Tron Legacy. Uh, but it actually pertains <laughs> to what we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for once, I actually told, ta- said what the name of the movie was. That's uh, sure. Usually, I don't do that. Do you all know that he's every time he does that, he's actually quoting from a movie? Or song. Or, or song. Yeah, sometimes it's a song. That's true. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. But usually you, a movie. I, I'm, I'm waiting to get to the point where the listeners start to write in and tell me what I'm quoting from. We did give that challenge once. Yeah. So I think he just did it for the subsequent episodes as right. well. Right. Yeah. You need to go back and listen to it. I don't know when I started doing that, but yeah, get, make a list. After you uh, were doing the greetings from w- the world. Yeah. The world, uh, different hello. But moving on to anyway. our actual topic, which is arcades, uh, that again pertains to the quote I chose. Um, the, we wanted to talk about kind of the rise and fall of the video game arcade. 
Yes, indeed. I spent many, many quarters growing up in video arcades. I started off spending many, many quarters, and then I shifted to spending many dollars to get tokens. Yes. Because that happened. <laughs> well, uh, It was a great money-making scheme. Well, well, I guess we can talk about that, too, although that's kind of tertiary to the, the full discussion. So to, to n- really discuss the history of video game arcades, I need to cut off Chris just before he's about to say something. What were you going to say, Chris? Well, I was going to launch into a whole thing, but go oh, ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. no, please launch. Okay. So, of course, many of you know that uh, I am older than many of our listeners. Um, but I grew up uh, in a skating rink. My brother was really into roller skating wow. when I was a kid. No, but I mean, he spent a lot of time in <laughs> oh, roller okay. rinks as a kid. And I remember, going back to the research, I remember uh, a lot of the things that I've seen as seminal moments in video gaming. I, I remember the tabletop Space uh, um, space Invaders games yeah, and things like Gunfight and all these things and just watching them go from, you know, the you had a, the rack of video games or um, pinball machines, you have four or five of those and maybe a couple video games. And then gradually they started squeezing out the pinball games and suddenly there were arcades in the neighborhood where you could play all kinds of stuff like Joust and Robotron and Defender, Spy Hunter. I mean, you know, the kids growing up in the late 70s and early 80s like like me, you know, that was a big thing. We'd, we'd go down the arcade at all. As a matter of fact, I had a friend whose parents owned an arcade. Wow. And, uh, now that's a score. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, every once in a while, they'd give me an extra dollar's worth of, of tokens. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but that was the thing. It was like, a, uh, you know, we'd, we'd spend quarters on them. And then, of course, the, uh, the token thing was sort of a way to get more people involved. But, I mean, it was, for a very long time, that was a great way to spend a summer afternoon when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, so I have a quick question for you. Okay. So when you were growing up uh-huh. in this skating rink. Yes. Uh, uh, with the pterodactyls flying around yeah. outside and all that. Had yeah. they actually invented the wheel or were you just kind of skidding along on shoes? I don't like you very much. So uh, my point here is Chris is old. Um, yeah. The, yeah, the, the arcade was kind of a growth out of the whole video game uh, uh popularity boom because arcades didn't just pop up as soon as vid- uh, arcade games mm-hmm. popped up it took a while no they were in places like skating rinks and bars yeah. and restaurants you'd see one or two games here and there but there wasn't any arcade to put them in i mean back when we talked about pinball machines before but there weren't any you know pinball machine arcades at least not very many of them right. i think there were there were kinds of uh, well same kind of places now where you have you know, for example, skee ball and other ki- kinds of things. But those are the kinds of things you'd find in, you know, uh, amusement parks and things like that. They weren't really freestanding like the video game arcade of the 80s was. Right, right. So the the previous arcades would be things like at Coney Island. Sure. You'd go to Coney Island and you could, they might have a, a, an arcade section, as in it's an area where there are games of skill or sometimes not skill, um, <laughs> that you could play. And uh, it, so, so it was a combination of that old... Uh, mode of, of business, this this idea mm-hmm. of an area of entertainment, and then the fact that the video games that were popping up in places like bars and skating rinks and things like that mm-hmm. were getting really popular. So it wasn't a huge leap for people to say, hey, what if I were to create a space, uh, like you know, a storefront space, and just fill it with these arcade games, and then my business will just be having people come in to play the games. 
Yes. And the arcade was born. The video game arcade, we should say. I mean, I keep on having to specify because arcade, the word arcade has been around for much longer. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. Um, any of you who have had the moment when you realize that a song that you really like is a cover of a song that is very old or, you know, decades old, in, in fact, um, and you sort of have that feeling of regret and let down, you know, oh, man, I didn't realize that somebody else actually did this song. I had the same moment when I, you know, went to get my hair cut in an arcade and I couldn't figure out what they, the games were. Uh, I had that and same was, experience. And I was going, come on, where are the games? It's an arcade. It's like, no, actually, that's not literally <laughs> video game and arcade are not necessarily <laughs> synonymous. Right, exactly. Yes, I, oh. I had the, the same <sighs> experience because I also grew up in the 80s. Um, uh, both The Wheel and The Fire had been around for a while when I was a kid. Um, Seriously. So... Yeah, they, they they started popping up in the 70s, in the earliest days of arcade games. So we're talking about things like Pong and Space Invaders, sure. and Galaxian, that kind of thing. Um, they got more popular as more video games started coming out. And for a while, there was a little worry among arcade owners that the video game home market could could make an impact on arcades. But the early video game home market was really limited. Mm-hmm. It... Uh, you, you normally your graphics and your sound and everything that you got out of a home video game console, mm-hmm. and we're talking about the late seventies, early eighties here, uh, just could not compare to what you could get in an arcade, like a, a video game arcade. Mm-hmm. The the games would be more sophisticated in the arcade than they were in the home market. Also, uh, the style of games was totally different, and it it you have to think of this from a business standpoint for it to really make sense. Video game, uh, arcade video games, so the ones that you would actually find in these places, were designed to be really intense and fun, but last for a relatively short time span, like any individual play session. You have hit on the crux of the problem. Yeah? Yes, you have. So if I go into an arcade and I want to play a video game, that game has been built, has been designed with the experience in mind that it should be fun and challenging, but it should also not last very long, because otherwise you can't make money, right? Because, yes. I mean, it, it's a per-play, uh, a pay-per-play model, so that means that every time you, you play the game, you're paying some money. It's not like it's a time-based model. Like if, if arcades were more of a you you pay a certain amount of money and then you get unlimited plays for an hour, it would be a totally different story right now. Mm-hmm. But because it was a pay per play system, it meant that you had to keep the plays at a short uh, time span, or else you lost money because mm-hmm. you'd have a kid plunk one quarter into a game and then stand there all day playing. That's right. Yes, I was the ideal video game customer. Because I came in and, and dropped you know six dollars worth of quarters in there in about ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take long if you are uh, not particularly adept, or if the game is designed to be really really hard, or in some cases the game's just plain unfair. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's there's yeah. Well, you can. And there were some that would allow you to uh, allow the the game owner to set the complexity of the game. Yeah, you could make it where the you could set the difficulty level for some games. And of course, the once games started to include the continue feature, that was a real boon as well because it meant that you could uh, coax the player into spending more money to keep the experience going without losing all the progress that he or she had made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, 
It, it's kind of funny, though. But, yeah, that's exactly the point. I mean, if you've got a, an arcade full of video games um, and you've got a steady stream of uh, people coming in to plunk quarters down or uh, you know, even more for some games, depending on the, uh, the situation – then you basically have uh, a semi-captive audience, and anything uh, you know, you have the the uh, video game level set maddeningly difficult, um, you know, where people will just go, "I'm gonna try it again," and drop another quarter in there, or the the continue game uh, feature. Well, then uh, you you certainly do that, and and the multiplayer games where you had you know two, three, four people getting involved in a game. Yeah, that's where you get the social aspect, which was something else that home video game systems were not terribly good at. I mean, you had a, a lot of the, the early home video game systems were designed for two players, mm-hmm. but that was as much as you could get. And um, and it, it's difficult to have a group of people over to play games where only two people can play at the same time, because people are always waiting for the next turn. Mm-hmm. In an arcade, you had variety, so people could go and play other games, while if, if their favorite game was occupied, they could either wait or they could play something else. Yes. Uh, home video games, not so much. Um, in fact, early home video games, uh, and we'll probably talk about this in another podcast, um, some of the the early consoles were limited to four games hard coded on the console itself. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> this was before the cartridge. Four. Uh, I'm era. sorry. Did you say four? Before. Oh, okay. The yeah, four games. Yeah. Because no, no. I have I okay. have one that only had three. Right. Right. Some of the earlier ones had even fewer. But uh, at any rate, so the arcade had the advantage over there in the social aspect for a really long time. Sure. Right? And it had the advantage of graphics and sound for a really long time. But eventually, the home market started to catch up. Yes. And on top of that, players began to divide up into two camps. You had the people who really like the arcade experience in the sense of the the kind of games that have that really intense but short time frame. Mm -hmm. The video game market at home, you could create games that lasted a really long time, had a really extended experience. Mm-hmm. And because you've already paid for the game, right? I mean, you you went out and you plunked down $50 for a video game. Uh, whether you play it once or whether you play it forever, that you've already poured all the money you're going to into that game. Right. Uh, at least until we get to downloadable content, which was much further down the road. So at that stage, you you could go ahead and design a game for players that would be very, you know, an extended experience. Mm-hmm. Something that you can't get in an arcade without sacrificing profit. Yes. Uh, and then as players began to value that experience, they stopped going to arcades as much. Um, and so the arcade attendance began to suffer. And that's when you it's also really expensive actually to maintain an arcade well talk about talk about the cost the relative costs again i mean you uh you have let's say i'm i'm making up a generic console home console game you you spend say $300 for the console mm-hmm. and about $50 $60 for a game and that's expensive I mean, to get started when sure. you're first getting buying a new console. I mean, if it's something like you know a brand new Xbox or or PlayStation, um, you know when it first comes out, it could be six hundred, seven hundred dollars for yeah. a new machine. Still, one uh, one stand up coin operated arcade game is much more expensive than that. Yeah, especially if it's new. Yes, or paradoxically, some of the older ones as well because they become collectors' items. Indeed. So I mean, and, and that's just one game. If you're trying to you know, pay rent on an arcade space every month, uh, pay employees, uh, which is going to be one of your largest items on the budget, 
anyway. I mean, right. staffing. Uh, and then you have to pay for the electricity to run all these electronics in your, your establishment. Mm-hmm. You have to get people in, and they're, they're dropping in a quarter at a time. I mean, that's why... You know the the economics of it are just so are just so bad unless you have people thronging through the doors, and that's why I think um, that's a big thing that had a lot to do with the rise in cost of the video games. I remember going back into an arcade into the '90s, you know, after dropping quarter after quarter in the games before, and then finding that a lot of them were at least fifty cents to play, if not a dollar. Right. And you're going, you know, I can't afford to you know play more than four or five games at a time. Yeah, it ends up. That's expensive, it, and and you can see that reflected in the way arcades started to change strategies and how to charge customers. When we talked about the tokens thing, yeah, really the tokens come down to you spending more money than uh, you normally would. Because if you put a dollar in a change machine and you get four quarters out, there's no guarantee that you're going to spend those four quarters at the arcade. You may just be using that change machine. You might play one game and then you walk away with 75 cents. Right. If you get tokens, you can only use it in the arcade. And a lot of times they would use uh, little techniques like, you know, if you buy, you put in a dollar, you get four tokens. But if you put in five dollars, you know maybe they'll throw in an extra dollars worth of tokens. Yeah, so you get like twenty-four tokens so instead of twenty. You know, so it entices you to spend even more cash at the arcade itself. Yeah, because they're just selling time on machines. They're not. Yep. It, there's no loss for them to to throw in some free tokens. No. Then then you have establishments like uh, Dave and Buster's that uses mm-hmm. a, a card-based system where you're buying credit and the credit is put on a card and then you slide yes. the card in the games. This is brilliant because now you've reached the point where you've you've removed the value from the game itself like you it unless you're really good at doing math in your head it's really hard to establish how much money each per play is costing you because mm-hmm. you know you put in 20 bucks you get 20 bucks worth of credit on your uh, on your card and it's it's transferred into points and then each game is worth a certain amount of points unless you're like doing that conversion in your head you you're not thinking hey this is costing me a buck 25 per play or something like that right um, and I, I just pulled that number out of thin air so sure yeah that was just a, an example we know um, yeah as I always do why well, we have to do that sometimes to set up an example so, right you know, right it's, it's so example so those were some some ways of arcades trying to extend their their lifespan, and some of them are still around. Like Dave and Buster's, of course, you can find those locations around the United States. Excuse me, had a little hiccup there. Um, and of course, those cards are reloadable, so you could bring it back next time you come. Yeah, you can actually use them in different locations too. Yeah, see, that's another enticement there. Yeah, to try because to get you back. Yeah, as, as opposed to the tokens, which might only work in one arcade, if you if you go to a franchise, uh, you might be able to transfer those those credits toward another game system. Although that's not necessarily seamless. I had I experienced a problem when I visited Philadelphia mm-hmm. and went to a Dave and Buster's and tried to use my Atlanta Dave and Buster's card and it uh, the, the the person behind the counter because I was actually going up to the counter at that point the um the automated systems were full uh looked and said something's weird here. It's telling me that you're from Atlanta. That's not weird. That is where I'm from. <laughs> Are you calling Atlanta weird? I mean, I'm not going to be mad. I'm just wondering what you're basing that on. And we got into this big philosophical discussion, and I didn't get to play my ski ball. But um, <laughs> that's a story for another podcast. Ski ball. That's actually a good point. 
Oh, about how arcades would try and differentiate themselves from the home market? Yes. One of the things that I read that uh, that may also have played a smaller role in uh, the decline of the in popularity of video games, or at least the video game arcade, is that a lot of the, the organizations now that still maintain a lot of video games and other kinds of amusements like that, they switched to a, a, a ticket reward system. Right. So, And a lot of video games didn't offer that. I mean, you didn't see, you know, Trog. Yeah. Pumping out tickets. It's hard to it's hard to compete with the home video game market today because home video games are so sophisticated. Yes. Right. So if you go and get a PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Sixty, a Wii, or a really you know a, a decent gaming computer, yeah, you can run games that that are phenomenal, that are really deep, rich experiences that have amazing graphics, mm-hmm. you know, and and can have hours and hours of gameplay to them. Uh, whereas uh, you know arcades just can't compete with that experience. So one of the ways that they they get around that is by offering these amusements, these these games of skill or chance or whatever that uh, that reward you for playing with tickets. And then of course eventually you can trade the tickets in to get something. For example, a friend of mine who I will not name uh, played these enough at a Dave and Buster's to get an Xbox. Wow. Yeah, if you've That's ever Yeah, if you've ever looked at the points needed to get some of these big ticket items, they're astronomical. So you sit there and you start doing the math like, all right, how many plays of various ticket winning games did he have to did he have to go through in order to buy essentially, you know, to trade the tickets in to get an Xbox. And I wonder how many actual consoles he could have purchased with the money <laughs> that he spent you know, buying credits so that he could play those games. Well, you know, uh, people are uh, are stupid. likely to do that. I wasn't going to say that. Yeah, he's stupid. Oh. He doesn't listen to this show. I'm all right. All right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that uh, they were trying all kinds of things at one point. I mean, hey, there was this game that you could dance on, and there were different colored pads on the floor, and you could, you know, match the stuff on the thing, and you couldn't do that at home except when they brought it home. Yeah. So well, uh, and, you know, it's and see, that's, that's those are the kind of games you're going to see at arcades now. They're sure. the games that tend to be uh, bigger immersive experiences than things that you typically will see at home until the next big innovation, like until Connect comes out, or uh, or the next generation of consoles come out, where you can kind of simulate the arcade experience even further in your own home. The the way that arcades differentiate themselves is through these games like the dance dance games and yeah. the, the the racing games where it's a, a where you full actually cockpit, sit, yeah. yeah, and you're usually racing against other players. Or uh, there are a lot of light gun games. Sure. Lots and lots of those because these are experiences that are not as easily uh, replicable at home. Mm-hmm. So clearly that helps differentiate them from the home video game market and gives you a reason to go in there and play these games. Uh, but as the, the market gets – the home market gets more sophisticated, that spells more trouble for these arcade uh, systems. It also is what makes old fogies like me and Chris cry when we walk into an, an actual arcade establishment that still exists. Because while most of them died out, not all of them did. No, nope, they're still around. Some of them are still around. But when you walk into one and you're an old timer, uh, you kind of get upset because you look around and you're like, well, all the games here are the same. They're all either racing games, dance games, or gun games. Like where where's the rampage? Where's the elevator action? Huh. Where's the pack land? <laughs> pack land. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I want to play that new Pac-Man game that you saw at CES. Oh, the four the four person simultaneous Pac-Man game, which is only available in an arcade version. Right. Yeah. But if you are a, an old fogey like us, uh, and you're interested in catching up on some, you might uh, check out this one place I, I read about in an article on the Christian Science Monitor by Ethan Gilsdorf. Um, up in New Hampshire, there is the American Classic Arcade Museum, and there's nothing. And there is, it's over an arcade, but uh, no machine in there is newer than 1988. So uh, it sounds like a lot of fun for those of us who are into that kind of thing. There were some good games made after that, too. but Sure. But this really, is the classic yeah, stuff. You know? Really, the arcade didn't truly start suffering until about the mid-90s, yeah, which is say. which is when you started seeing some of the more advanced home consoles start to come out at that point. The, the NES and Super NES uh, didn't take a huge chunk out of the arcades um, until until much later, and like I said, until the mid '90s. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there there are plenty of great games that were made '88 or earlier. Discs of Tron, <laughs> um, Elevator Action, Spy Hunter, fantastic games. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the story between uh, about the rise and fall of arcades. Uh, I mean, like I said, we could still find a few of them scattered here and there, but they aren't uh, they aren't as uh, Omnipresent as they seemed to be in the early '80s. I mean, it used to be that there you couldn't walk into a shopping mall without finding at least one arcade. Oh, and there yeah. were some malls I went into that were yeah. big enough to have two. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And they were always packed with people too. Yeah, and and you know, there's certain experiences that you just can't get. Like you can play on Xbox Live, you can play against other players, which is fantastic. And other other game systems support similar. Uh, Competitive or cooperative gameplay online, uh, and that's fantastic. It's still not quite the same as lining up to a an arcade console and uh, or arcade cabinet rather, mm-hmm. and plunking a quarter down on the screen to mark that you have the next game. Yep. As two people are battling it out in uh, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or, or or something like that. Yeah, I remember when people used to put a quarter up on the. The screen glass to let you know that yes. they had next game. Yeah, I remember. Uh, so, so let's let's wrap this up with. Uh, do you have any like favorite arcade stories at all? I have one I can tell if you want to think of one. Okay, go right ahead. Okay, so I attended a science fiction convention in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, in oh gosh, it probably would have been in the uh, early nineties, maybe, mm-hmm. and. Sadly, one of the biggest attractions at this tiny, tiny convention was a copy of Gauntlet 2 that was in their little game uh, area for uh, for the hotel. It was the hotel's uh-huh. arcade machine. And one of the, the convention guys decided that it would be fun to go ahead and invest and get tons and tons and tons of quarters. I know that some people hate me using the the phrase tons of stuff. But anyway, lots of quarters and allow people to play this game as long as they wanted to. So I got in on level one and played Gauntlet 2 with three other people until we got to some ridiculous level, like in the hundreds. And uh, and that was one of the most fun experiences because it was just, again, you've got four people working together. They're cooperating, trying to to play through this game, and uh, and you know the 
the jokes that come up as people accidentally do things like shoot the food. If you've ever played the Gauntlet games, it has some very uh, distinctive phrases that come out as you play. Like, uh, you know, warrior shot the food. Uh, Elf, your life force is running out. Wizard needs food. Badly. So, uh, yeah, that just ended up becoming a great community experience. Yeah. Yeah, I... um I don't really have uh, a story like that so much, but I do. I do remember going to my friend's uh, parents' arcade, and you know, I, I was pretty much guaranteed to see somebody I knew there, which was, was really cool. And then uh, we used to go to this one pizza place all the time when I was a kid, and my parents would just, you know, give me five bucks to play until the pizza showed up. And you know, there was always something good: Marble Madness, Spy Hunter, Tapper. Marble Madness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Good. They, that was that was the first time I encountered uh, Dragon's Lair. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, trying to figure out the the sequence of moves that would get you to the next level, and yeah, I finally got to see a laser disc of Dragon's Lair, which showed how to go through the whole game and win at the end. And then after it ran through that, it showed all the ways you could die. Wow. Yeah, the the different ways you could die part was about three times longer <laughs> than the actual gameplay part. Um, yeah, it's. It's it's definitely one of those experiences that's kind of sad to see it go away. But at the same time, financially, it's hard to justify operating an arcade. It's just really challenging to do it in a way that, that will make enough money to pay all the bills, much less turn a profit. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging. I'd still like to find that uh, cow milking video game that you were talking about. Go to Japan, dude. <laughs> that, th- we should also add that this is really only true necessarily in North America. There are other places where arcades are still going strong, and Japan is one of those places. Uh, you can go to Japan, and there are plenty of different arcades, and they have really innovative games, and sometimes they're really crazy, like a, a Milk the Cow arcade game, where you actually milk the electronic udders of a big plastic cow. But it was basically uh, like Simon, right? Yeah, it looked like, that's, what, that's what it looked like to me. I didn't work up the courage to actually play it because I was certain that video of me playing it would show up online later. And sadly, that particular arcade no longer exists. Aww. International Bowling Arcade off Buford Highway, I miss you. <laughs> Just goes to show you if you get the opportunity to play an unusual coin-operated video game, play it. Seize it. And you get- <laughs> Seize that opportunity. By the others. Dude, did you ever play any of the arcade uh, arm wrestling games? No. Okay, we'll get into that later. Okay. If any of you guys have any questions, comments, topic suggestions, anything like that, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, and Chris and I will arm wrestle you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office... 
With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 